0: So we are now at the end of our series in the book of Judges. We come to Judges chapter 21. It can be found on page 221 in the Pew Bible. That's a hymnal. And so I'm going to read verses 13 to 25, the, the final verses of Judges. So beginning in verse 13. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Ramon, and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh gilead But they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin, because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the people of Israel had sworn, Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, There is the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin." And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle. Neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. And the peoples of Benjamin did so, and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we come to the end of the book of Judges. And the downward spiral of sin and apostasy has spiraled out of control. The people of Israel, God's people, have ignored God. They've left the ways of the Lord behind, and now they're doing what is right in their own eyes. So as a sports coach, one of the things I've learned, that it's difficult to get all the players to buy in and follow your lead as the coach. Many of the players think that they know what is best for the team to do. And some of them will openly object to my plan. I tell them what to do, and they would say, no, I don't want to do that. That's a bad idea. Others would just say nothing, but then they would go out on the field or the court and just do whatever they wanted anyway, disregarding what I had told them to do as their coach. One time I was coaching this high school girls basketball team in the Philadelphia Public League, and we were near the end of a playoff game. And I had this play I wanted them to run to kill off the clock because we were in the lead. And so one player shouts as soon as I tell them this, no, we can't run that play. That's a bad idea. We have to score more points. And so I told them, no, the best thing to do right now is to just kill off the clock at this point. And so they went out there in the final few minutes to run the play I had told them. But they didn't run it right at all. They were doing it their own way. They were shooting jump shots from all over the floor, which was the complete opposite of what I told them to do. And they were missing all the shots. And so this allowed the other team to get the ball, and now they were able to score multiple times and then win the game. And so as soon as the game was over, uh, this player who initially voiced her opinion that I was wrong said, see, I told you it was the wrong play. I was right, and walked off. So not only did they cost us the game by doing whatever they wanted, they convinced themselves that it was my fault that we lost. Now, as Christians, we can do things like this. We can do what is right in our own eyes. And from today's passage, we're going to see a couple of ways we can guard ourselves against doing what is right in our own eyes. First, we can perform regular self-reflection in our own hearts. The second, we can seek the Lord in His guidance. And third, we can submit to Christ as our King. In the last chapter of Judges, chapter 21, it comes after one of the worst periods in the history of Israel. There was the shameful behavior of the men of Gibeah, where they rape and they abuse a woman and they leave her to die. And then this Levite, who was her husband or her master, takes her body and actually chops it up and sends pieces of her to all the tribes. And so this is really one of the most disturbing passages in the whole book, maybe even in the whole Bible. And it shows us the extent of the sin of God's people when we turn away from the Lord, when God's people start doing what is right in their own eyes. And so this Levite, he did this to rally all the uh, tribes against the evil men of Gibeon. And he was successful. He gathered all the tribes together. And then they went to the leaders of Benjamin, which is where these men were from. That's the tribe they were from. And he was seeking justice for what happened. But rather than turn these men over, the tribe of Benjamin chose to go to war with the rest of the tribes of Israel. They were trying to defend these men. And so one of the, one of the ironies of this point is... This was the largest moment of unity in the whole book of Judges. Most of the tribes are unified, and they come out to fight at this point. But this unifying force was seeking justice against one of their own tribes. Not at any time did they unify on this level to fight against the Canaanites. And so now this civil war among God's people ensues. And after some time, after many deaths, the tribe of Benjamin was finally defeated. But then, chapter 21 begins after this civil war is over. And it recalls a meeting that took place among the tribes at a place called Mizpah before they had the war. So before the war, they had this meeting where they took two oaths. And it tells us of the first oath in chapter 21, verse 1. It says, No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. So prior, prior to this battle with Benjamin, th- with the tensions running high, the other tribes made a vow not to give their daughters in marriage to the men of Benjamin. But now that the war with Benjamin is over, they have been thoroughly defeated, and, and there was this successive slaughter of Benjamin to the point where they are now on the danger of extinction. And so the men of Israel made this rash vow before the war, and that just worsened the situation. Now they realize, because of their vow before the war, one of their tribes faces extinction, and they have no way to remedy it. There are 600 male survivors, but no way for them to give them a wife without breaking their vow. And so they go before the Lord at Bethel, and they're weeping bitterly. And they call out to God in verse 3. O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel? that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel. And so on the surface, this seems okay. But they're not really seeking an answer to this question. They're really just stating their objection to their current situation. And they're implying that God is ultimately responsible for what happened. Which, in a sense, He is. He is sovereign over all things. But they're not taking any responsibility for their own actions. They did this. They're, they're trying to absolve themselves for any responsibility in what has happened. And so in this, God remains silent. He's not going to be used by his people. And so for us, we can see our first way to, we, we can guard against doing what is right in our own eyes. It, that is by performing regular self-reflection. Here, the Israelites are really blaming God for something they've clearly done. They were the ones who slaughtered Benjamin. They're now having to deal with the consequences of their own holy war against their own people. But they blame God. They have no admission of guilt. They have no responsibility for what has happened. They are right that God is sovereign over everything, every situation. But there are consequences to our decisions and our actions. It's much easier to blame God or to blame someone else, than it is to engage in serious self-reflection. It's not to say that we're always to blame, or we're completely to blame for things, but we should be doing regular self-reflection in our own hearts. As I coached at higher and higher levels in college soccer, one thing I learned, that one of the most important ways to improve as a team is in the post-game video room. After every game, when, when we coach at Division Two, Division One, we would sit down after every game and watch the whole film of the game. And we would look at every single play. We would see everything that we did right, but more importantly, we would see everything that we did wrong. And it's a difficult process to sit there and look at your mistakes in that way, in front of the whole group of people, and then we would all see they would all see their mistakes, but it is the best way to improve. The teams that don't do post-game evaluation aren't really getting much better. And so for us as Christians, we need to consistently do serious self-reflection where we're considering our true motives, the nature of our desires, the driving force behind our intentions. But we don't like to do it because it's hard. When we take an honest and serious look in our own hearts, what we see Is often ugly. We constantly have and find sinful motives, desires, and intentions. But checking our hearts, checking our desires, will help us to improve in our walk with the Lord. And we should constantly do this. Because without it, we can drift away. We can drift away from God being the center of our lives, and we won't even know it. And so the book of Judges catalogs the sad reality of God's people doing what is right in their own eyes. And the problem in Judges is the spiritual condition of his people. And they've been torn apart by their own doing. And the only way out, the only solution, is for their hearts. No amount of their own effort will fix it. They don't need the perfect plan or scheme or remedy. They need to return their hearts to the Lord. And humans in general, we're all so quick to point the finger outward instead of pointing it inward. But when we don't do this, when we don't self-reflect and do this hard work, we fool ourselves, and we can end up doing what is right in our own eyes. And so to guard against this, we can begin by performing regular self-reflection, regularly evaluating our hearts. Now for the Israelites... After they cry out to God and blame Him for their situation, the next day they gather together again. And they build an altar, and they present burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And then they ask, which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly of the Lord? And they ask this because they took a second rash oath in their meeting at Mizpah right before the war with Benjamin. That the oath was that anyone who failed to join their assembly at Mizpah should be put to death. And so now that they feel sorry for Benjamin, now they realize that they don't want one of the tribes to go completely extinct, they come up with a plan to keep the tribe of Benjamin alive without breaking their vow to give their daughters to them. And so they realize that no one from the city of Jabesh gilead came to that assembly. And so now, again, we're still speaking of Israelites. And so the men of Israel are embarking now on another holy war against their people. They plan now to use their vow to kill anyone who didn't show up to their meeting at Mizpah. And they wage war on Jabesh Gilead to fulfill this vow. And they lay siege on the city. They kill every man and every woman that is lame with a man. And they go and they find 400 virgins and bring them back to the camp for the men of Benjamin. And so in executing their justice on that second oath, they find 400 wives for the men of Benjamin. But that wasn't enough. There were 600 men of Benjamin. So now we read in verse 15, it says, The people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Notice, again, they're still completely blaming this on God. Obviously, God is sovereign over this. But there's no accountability on their part at any point in this. No acceptance of responsibility. And so now they want to make sure that every man of Benjamin that's left has a wife. So one of the tribes, they they don't want it to go extinct, so they're not unwilling to break their vow to do this. So they come up with another plan. This time, in verse 19, it says... Behold, there is a yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh. So now, it's uncertain exactly which feast they're referring to. But the plan that they come up with here is nothing short of kidnapping and another rape. In verse 20 we read, And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances... Then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And so their plan was to have the men of Benjamin kidnap the young women from Shiloh and take them as their wives. But there's more. They planned their response out in advance. when the fa- They know that the fathers and the brothers were going to come and complain. And so they say in verse 22... And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle. Neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. And so now these leaders of Israel, they're saying to the men of Shiloh not to complain about the kidnapping of their daughters, or they will be guilty of breaking the oath not to give their daughters in marriage. And they will come under the curse of the oath. The sad irony of all of this is that the behavior of the leaders of Israel now is the same of the Levite and the old man that handed the woman over to be raped. It's the same as the situation that started this whole thing. Their solution to fix the problem of Benjamin being wiped out is just as evil as the situation that created this whole mess. There hasn't been any justice. There's just been a slew of injustice in this whole situation. So not only have they not taken any responsibility, they've come up with their own grossly sinful plan to remedy this. And not at any point in this story does anyone seek God and his guidance. The only time they pray to God was really to imply that he is the one to blame. They they do offer some burnt offerings to the Lord, but it just seems to be the going through the motions. And so for us, this gives us a second way we can guard against doing what is right in our own eyes. By seeking the Lord and his guidance. At no point, really, throughout most of the end of the book of Judges, does anyone seek the Lord for guidance. It's easy for all of us to get caught up in what we need to do to fix something. But any process we do, anything we undertake, any plans we formulate and execute should be bathed in prayer. Obviously we need to act, we need to do things, but we should begin with prayer, continue with prayer, end with prayer. Where our hearts are tuned into the Lord. That we're seeking the Lord and His guidance in our lives, in our family, in the church. And this is a crucial way we can guard against doing what is right in our own eyes. But we also need to seek the wisdom of the Word of God. What it teaches us. Pursuing it and living it out in our lives. And I think a primary place for every church to begin is to make sure we're following consistently the great commandment and the great commission. These were both taught by Jesus. He taught the great that the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as we're doing things, as we are living our lives in service of God, we should check, where are my motives? How do they line up to the great commandment? Both individually And collectively, we need to love God in everything we do. And we have to make sure that what we're doing, even our religious activity, doesn't become about what we prefer, our comfort, rather than loving God. Also, how are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? If we truly pursue these things, loving God with our whole selves, loving our neighbors as ourselves, and not just giving lip service to them, then we will definitely be guarding against what is not doing what is right in our own eyes and we should be pursuing the great commission the making disciples of people of all nations and we do this different ways support of missionaries but we can do it right in our own communities in our own lives sharing our faith loving people as ourselves bringing people to come to know the lord and to be disciples by focusing simply on these two great things, great teachings of Jesus, we can guard ourselves against doing what is right in our own eyes. But it is easier said than done. And as we come to a close in the book of Judges, I want to share the thoughts of the theologian Daniel Block in his excellent commentary on Judges. In it, he points out that the issues throughout the book of Judges are also issues for God's people today. He writes that no other book in the Old Testament offers the modern church as telling a mirror as this book. From the jealousies of the Ephraimites to the religious pragmatism of the Danites, from the paganism of Gideon to the self-centeredness of Samson, this book is a wake-up call for a church moribund in its own selfish pursuits. Instead of heeding the call of truly godly leaders and letting Jesus Christ be Lord of the church, everywhere, congregations and their leaders do what is right in their own eyes. So every Christian, every church, needs to do the work of self-reflection. But many churches avoid it. It's easier to blame the culture, to blame God. We know that we need to seek the Lord and his guidance, but we often go it alone. We often go about it our own way. So we can guard ourselves to do this, to guard ourselves against doing what is right in our own eyes, performing that checking of our hearts, seeking the Lord and his guidance. And so as this story ends, as the book of Judges comes to a close, it ends with a summative statement of the situation in verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The whole of Israel has shown the extent, extent of their sinfulness in Judges, and specifically at the end. And In our passage, we see there's no difference between the behavior of the tribe of Benjamin protecting rapists than the rest of Israel in advocating for kidnapping and rape as a solution to their problem. All of God's people are in constant need of his grace. So the end result of this catastrophe of sinfulness is that the tribes of Israel are preserved. They continue to move forward. Benjamin, they take their wives, they repopulate the city, but they're not preserved by their own efforts. They're not preserved by their own plans or schemes. They are preserved only by the grace of God. And so the state of God's people at the end of Judges is that there is no king in Israel. There was no one there to lead them in the ways of the Lord. And so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But God, in his infinite grace, in his infinite wisdom, doesn't leave his people in this state. He preserves them in his grace because he's working towards a purpose. He's working out the fulfillment of the promises he has made to his people. He's calling a people to himself, and he's changing their hearts. And one day, we will no longer do what is right in our own eyes. God doesn't abandon his people. He will never abandon us. No matter how bleak things may seem at times, the sin of God's people may grieve him much more than it does even us. But that's how amazing his grace is. The extent of our sin is astounding, but His grace is greater. In His grace, God provides the atonement for our sins. He sent His Son to die the death we deserve, so that in Him we may live. And so our third way to guard against doing what is right in our own eyes is by submitting to Christ as our King. Jesus is the great king that God provides for us. He is the king that changes our hearts that we may now do what is right in God's eyes. And God is working in us to bring this to a full reality. So we submit to Christ as our king when we first come to faith. But we need to do this daily. Our sinful flesh is constantly pushing us to desire ourselves to be King. Sin makes us want to build our own kingdoms. But submitting to Christ as our king repeatedly means that we will seek God and His kingdom first. That we will constantly submit our wills to the will of God, to the will of Christ. That we will repeatedly reorient our goals and our desires for the good of the kingdom of God. For the advancement of the gospel. For living out the great commandment and the great commission. And so while right now we still struggle with our sin, God in His grace has promised that we will be with Him in glory for eternity. And that He will dwell among us and be our God and we will be His people. And He will wipe away every one of our tears. And there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain or crying. Sin will be completely removed from our lives. And Jesus will reign as king forever. He is the king that subdues us to himself. He rules over us. He defends us. He restrains and conquers all of his enemies and our enemies. Jesus is the king of kings. And he not only conquers the sin in our hearts and brings us to himself, but he will completely defeat the powers of sin, evil, and death. Jesus began his reign already in his life, death, and resurrection, but he will return to consummate his kingdom. And once he returns, his enemies will be completely defeated, and in his victory, everything will be made right. And so for us, we continue to live in this time that the theologians call the already, but not yet. Christ has already begun his kingdom and his reign, but he has not yet fully consummated it. He already died and rose from the dead, but he has not yet returned. And we as people have already been chosen, saved and justified, but we are not yet fully sanctified and glorified. And so while we continue forward in God's purpose for our lives and for his kingdom, let us continue to guard ourselves against doing what is right, In our own eyes, through self reflection, through seeking the Lord and His guidance, through submitting to Christ as our King, as we continue to await His glorious return. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are, that you are the God of holiness and glory. And although we all fall so short of your glory, You are a God of grace and mercy. So we praise You and we submit to Your reign over our lives and over Your church. Empower us, Lord, to do our part in promoting the flourishing of Your people. Give us Your Spirit to examine our hearts in self-reflection, that You may expose in us the places where we are doing what is right in our own eyes. And give us the wisdom and the power to do what is right in your eyes. That we may seek you and your guidance. That we may submit to your Son, Jesus, our King, as we await his return. And we cry out, come, Lord Jesus. It's in his glorious name we pray. Amen.